tonight. Uh, we are on part seven of Tracks Upon the Mountain of Transfiguration. Hold on to your reins. Get yourself situated because we're going to delve into a lot of things tonight. More than I will be able to uh, scripturalize you completely with because of the time. Uh, but as uh, we carry on, we will hope to furnish you with more and more of the scriptural forensic evidence that you will enjoy to have. So blessed be the name of God. Uh, I want to start in the book of Revelations. And I want to talk about uh, the importance of the time element in understanding the revelations of the Bible. We uh, did touch on this subject in uh, one of the earlier um, uh, Mountain of Transfiguration teachings. Uh, but, I mean, uh, that doesn't matter at all because uh, it, it uh, touches uh, as a uh, scarlet thread through the whole series uh, because it is the basis of, you know, the seer revelation. In the book of, um, of uh, Revelations chapter 1, um, it goes on to say in the 19th verse, Write the things which thou hast seen. Now, th th this is instructions to John. And this is the Spirit of the Lord giving instructions to John how to report this whole revelation. One, write the things which you have seen, have seen, past tense. Write that which you have seen, that you have known, that you have been uh, delivered of instructions or revelation to in the past, the past. And the things which are, those are the things which are in the present that are being revealed. And the things which shall be hereafter. Now, isn't it interesting to have the Holy Spirit uh, through the, the Word of God reveal to a person there are three things in this revelation that you are to do. Number one, you are to reveal things of the past. And he doesn't say you are to reveal things of a recent past or just the past that happened on this earth. But he just leaves it open and he just says you are to reveal the things of the past. And, you know, that's like infinity. I mean, you know... Uh, it's like the scripture that says, if all the things were written that should be written, I suppose that not even the world could contain it. It's an incredible opener. It's an incredible insight of wisdom and knowledge that pillars all the way up to the highest cognition, cognition of the mind. And so, <clears throat> write the things which you have seen, the past, and write the things that are present, and write the things which are going to happen in the hereafter. How does an ordinary person do that? An ordinary person does not do that. It takes a specialized gift of God to that person. It's, it, it takes a seership to be able to see those things which are, are beyond. And that creates a, a contradiction to a lot of people because when someone sees something that is futuristic 
and other people are blind to it. They find it very difficult to endorse. And, and so the Holy Spirit has to quicken it to people. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't quicken it to people, then, you know, they're just blind and deaf to it, and they just can't catch on. They can't get it. But I believe that in this teaching that God is quickening uh, this message and, and these teachings and this word to many, many of the people that are listening in to this broadcast. And I've had, I feel, um, a definite evidence of that by the comments and the emails and the replies and the telephone conversations that I've had with a good uh, many uh, number of persons who have uh, been listening on the broadcast. And I do thank God for all those persons who are so acutely interested and are so deeply involved in their allegiance to know the truth and to be set free from it. Uh, be set free from all the things that hinder it. Be set free from all the things that have bound it. Be set free from its being in a stationary uh, state. Uh, and, and to be set free from that limit of truth and to have truth that is just unbounded. And so then it goes on and it says in the 20th verse, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. We have to understand that even with the seership ministry, there is further being accentuated and punctuated that there is a mystery here. There is a mystery. And there would, of course, be a reason for something of the Word of God to be revealed in a mystery. It's because that the mystery is not for everybody. It's not for people who are going to take that word and and it's going to do them more harm than good because they just cannot perceive it. They cannot catch the momentum of it. So it's a mystery. And it's about seven stars. And, and this is the head lead topic subject. And we've got to get that clearly in our mind, the seven stars. What are these seven stars? And um, we see in the first chapter and the 16th verse that these seven stars are being connected with Jesus Christ in his right hand. So he is totally, absolutely involved with these seven stars they're like a, a fixture in his hand, which the hand most often stands for ministry. You know, like apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, the five fingers uh, representing the, the ministry. And that um, uh, it, is, it is engorging a glory a glory that is almost beyond recognition by the average person, that there, there is a mystery of these seven stars and what they represent, what they entail, what the fulfilled power of endowment of those stars are. And Jesus is involved in those. They, that They have become a fixture, a part of him in his hand. And so this is something that 
is totally accepted and immediately connected to the fact that the seven stars are in his hand is connected and, which makes it a conjunction. The next thing that happens is out of his mouth a, a sword, a two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in its strength. So the whole scenario given here, the whole reality that is exampled is one of a similitude of the highest order of magnifications. And it is this super bright sun in its fullness of strength. It's like the Bible speaks about in that day the the sun will will be many magnitudes. It'll it'll shine the strength of seven days. Uh, it is all part of a mystery. It's all part of this tremendous word of the knowledge and wisdom of God that has been promised by the ancient prophets that one day would cover the whole earth like the waters of the sea cover so much of the earth. And so it's a beautiful thing. And then it goes on. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, we just have to understand that the Greek word for church is a word that just simply means an assembly or a group. So when we break it down into churches, it does get very uh, misunderstood because people are then thinking of, you know, all the different denominations and all the little, the, you know, the little church buildings and the temples and all these different kinds of churches. And, and uh, that, that is not really an exercise uh, that opens up the mystery in its, uh, you know, fullest, fullest points of beauty and, and clarity. Uh, but because what we are really talking about here is very, very, very essentially important. Essentially important. Now, um, it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, there are uh, interpreters, even scholars, uh, church persons who have tried to interpret this word angel as being a pastor or a bishop. Now, we do not say that you could not configuratively uh, use that example, but that certainly is not the fulfillment of the mystery. Because, um, you know, Christ isn't speaking to the, these little uh, churches that are fairly new in Asia Minor, and uh, they haven't been around long enough to have too many things happening. And, and there's supposedly a pastor there, and, and God is pulling, selecting out this pastor uh, to be put into the privileged uh, position of being spoken to as an angel or as a representative. Uh, it, it really doesn't, doesn't fit the translation because the same word that is used to be translated into angel, which King James translations prefer to use the word angel instead of bishop or pastor, 
is is the same word that is used to designate angels all the way practically throughout uh, of the book of Revelation. And so if you turn it into pastor or bishop, then that opens it up to be turned into ba- uh, you know pastor or bishop in the many, many other cases that angels are used. Then you've got you know, a pastor coming down from the heavens, holding the key to the bottomless pit, or, or you've got, you know, hu- human beings uh, that that have uh, uh, been put into a totally different um, uh, scenario and position than than uh, is any case uh, ever intended by the Word of God. So we just we just don't, uh, you know, fall into the, to that scoreline. It is not really relevant to making the best uh, proof and point of the scripture. So we just keep that in mind that it's angel. And there's uh, seven churches. And there's seven stars. And they're already in the hand of the Lord. And and, and the Lord is being uh, strengthened. He, he, this, this, this is a fixture that's part of his ministry. And it's, it's a strong shining of the sun because of it. So this is is not uh, in any way uh, related to um, to pastors or, or, or bishops. Uh, but later, as we will see uh, as we get into this, um, it mentions in several places the seven spirits of God. And these seven spirits of God are frequently connected to this thing with the seven stars. And uh, and now, uh, when we begin to see the seven spirits of God are the seven angels, now we can give it a, a relativeness of power and, and fortitude and, and sanction uh, because we are talking about something that really is uh, an unraveling of a great and wondrous mystery. Now, just to get the, the setting straight, if you would turn with me, without losing your place in Revelations, to the book of Mark. To the book of Mark. That's the Gospel of Mark. Okay, And I want to just read a simple little scripture there. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, interpret it. I, I've I've mentioned you know this before, but it it so fittingly goes along with uh, what we are uh, what we are are ministering on. <clears throat> and in the sixteenth uh, chapter of of Mark, um, Jesus is um, has appeared to them. Uh, the scripture mentions he's appeared in several different forms. We're going to get into that. We'll be back in this area here. Uh, but right now we want to concentrate on this one thought. <clears throat> and um, he tells them that um, they they are to uh, to to you know to go into all the world, and and uh, they are to. Uh, you know, uh, preach the gospel. There are uh, several places in the New Testament where the the scriptures are saying, uh, you know, the these things that uh, 
are the word of, of the Lord, like in verse 15, Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now this has been incessantly interpreted as being go to every nation on earth. And I do not say that that does not include that. But the fact of the matter is, there are Greek words that would far uh, better give a, a proof or example of the meaning of earth and the nations of the earth than the word that was used. The word that was used here was cosmos. And the Greek word cosmos, uh, if you really get into it and follow the roots, you know, like um, the Greek Strong's Concordance and Dictionary, uh, number 2387, 20, uh, uh, 2888, and 2889. Um, I think I gave you the first one wrong. I think it's 2887, 2888, and 2889. Uh, basically, will show you that the word there is really go into all the universe, because that's the cosmos. Now, when you begin to seeing things in the mystery of a grand scale, not just the little earth scale, but the universe, it changes the format of everything. It ties into the scripture in the book of Isaiah that, that, that clearly advises of the day coming uh, when we will plant the heavens, that scripture being in Isaiah 51 and uh, being said this way, verse 16, 51, 16. And I have put my words in your mouth, and I have given thee, or covered thee, in the shadow of my hand, that... I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Now we see in this revelation how the word Zion comes in. And we've explained to you how that the term Mount Zion uh, is also, uh, you know, S-I-O-N, and it also is correlated with, with uh, Z or Z-I-O-N. And that refers to Mount Hermon. We understand there is another Zion that's over by, um, you know, uh, Jerusalem. But, but um, this is very, very uh, important that we understand. He says we're, we're going to plant the heavens. H-E-A-V-E-N-S, heavens, plural. We're going to plant the heavens. And by doing that, that is what is really going to give a foundation to the purpose of the earth. That is going to really give the proof of the foundation of the earth, to go out from here and begin to plant the heavens. I, I find that exciting. I find it exciting that the day could come that, that we would have a universal ministry and we would be dealing with a universal mind and a universal God of which in the 19th chapter of Psalms it speaks about the handiwork of God in the heavens. And, and God is inviting us to follow the line that goes throughout all the heavens, 
or as it translates it in the 10th chapter of Romans, uh, to, to listen to the sound that, that, that is spoken everywhere in all of the universe, and there is no place that the sound uh, is, is not and has not been heard. That's the Alpha, the Omega. That's that which was, that which is, that which is to come. John, John, write this. Write about that which was. Write about that which is. Write about that which is to come. The big scale. The real whole universe world scale. Write big time. And when you think of, of people, think of, of gigantic, colossal magnifications, like huge stars, that though they're, they're millions of light years away, they shine and you can see them so clearly and so beautifully. And those star, stars are symbols of angels, angels that have to be, by their comparison, absolutely incredible entities that are just so full of the summations of the things of God that they are like power towers so that they can be compared to these suns or uh, S-U-N-S or stars that are uh, colossus uh, uh, entities in the heavens. So the message is the universe. Now that doesn't, uh, you know, bode just real well with, with the uh, the rapture any moment people and um, the end of the world and all the turmoil. It doesn't bode well because, you know, they don't have it right. They've got it absolutely wrong. Wars and rumors of wars have been going on back to the beginning of this planet. And you wouldn't be able to say, well, uh, there's been some earthquakes and floods, so that must mean it's the end of the world. You would be saying it was the end of the world ever since the beginning of this world based on that kind of a concept. And that's what people have done. And so I just want to tell you, and I've told you this before, get off that ship that's sinking into the world peril. Get off of it. If you know that your heart is right with God, if you know that you are ready to meet your maker every day of your life, then you don't need to go around fretting and worrying and full of panic and fear and, and, and full of anxiety. You just need to say, hey, whatever happens, I'm ready to meet my maker. And that's beautiful. And that's peace. And that's joy. And that's relaxation. And that's entering into the rest, of which the Bible says that a lot of people have not entered into the rest of the Lord. Those are just things that are facts. Now, <clears throat> we have a lot that we want to say about thunder. Um, let's look in the fifth chapter of Revelations. And let's just read a little bit there. There's so many interesting, uh, you know, just 
in in my book, in, in my mind, they're just super fascinating. I just get so fascinated uh, with with you know the things of God. Okay, now um, <clears throat> we want to um, we want to to read about um, the book being opened, chapter five, um, and we find that in the right hand of Him that sat on the throne. There's a book written within and on the back side, and there's seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open this book and to loose the seals thereof? And you should know the story. You should know the story how that Christ then eventually comes forth and opens the book. And uh, and in the sixth uh, 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 verse, it reads, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Now that ties into the seven stars in the right hand of Jesus, and my interpretation of how that those uh, seven uh, stars are representing uh, seven um, uh, energizing uh, type of ministry uh, endowments that are strengthening uh, his ministry, and that he's they're like a fixture to him. Now, it this scripture takes a little further, and it shows that um, that his eyes ha- are also. Uh, connected and affected by these seven spirits of God. And it says that uh, the lamb uh, had seven horns. Like, you know, we could talk about the the um, <clears throat> seven powers, or we could talk about it being like seven uh, Z-zone uh, capabilities, seven different kinds of Z-zone capabilities. Like when we talked about Moses and the horns that actually represented rays coming out of his head, which we com- uh, compared to the Z-zone or, uh, or uh, you know, the special kind of, uh, of a power that a person can use that's like amtristic am- uh, energy or, or uh, syntone or, or many of the other names uh, that, that we have given it. <clears throat> and so it says, the seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So we see that there had to be some way, somehow, that these seven stars, which are the seven messengers, which are also called the seven spirits of God, and have seven eyes of insight and are connected throughout the, 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 the earth, but not just the earth. They're connected throughout all the universe because these all uh, represent, these all represent seven different past universes. So when the scripture says, write this, write that which was past, well, there's going to be an interesting story about the past. It's not going to just say, yes, we'll see, well, now the past, uh, that started in Genesis, and there was Adam, then there was Abraham, and, of course, there was Noah before that, 
And uh, then eventually uh, Jesus came. And then after Jesus, there was Paul. Uh, you know, this is a, it's a mystery. This is something deep, a boiling sea of virtue that is just ready to be opened and, and, and to become a, a mantle uh, coming down and coming up at the same time uh, to imbue you uh, with, with, with a, a holy syntonic fire. And so it's a beautiful, absolutely glorious uh, connection uh, to be understanding when the word says, you know, go into the past. And, and to have this past opened, going back into seven universes that preceded this eighth universe, and how that there is a record that is left of every one of those universes. And, and from that record, a person is able to connect uh, to uh, those um, uh, universal experiences, and they become like eyes, eyes of the past, uh, eyes uh, uh, deep into a long, long ago, and, and you've got information there uh, to help you. We call those energy dots, and, and that is that's a sensational story. That's a, a, an interesting story, and it's John, go into the past. Open up the past, the great past. Not just yesterday. Go beyond yesterday. Go way, 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 way back. Just as you would use the gift to go forward into the future to things that you haven't even seen before because they haven't happened yet, use that same gift but in the reverse to go into the past to see things that that is that are not cognizant in your mind that you don't remember that you you don't uh, you know forthrightly know without the revelation of the spirit of god and so it is so absolutely exciting so there we see then that connection now just how important that is turn with me to the 10th chapter of the book of um Revelations. <clears throat> now, in the 10th chapter, it talks about this mighty angel comes down. There's a book in the hand again. And the angel cries with a loud voice. Verse 3. And seven thunders uttered their pronoun, their voices. There's a personification there. Each thunder, which is one of the spirits of God, is personified as being part of the pronoun their, making up the compound of the seven, which fulfills the word their, showing it plural and showing ownership. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, their voices, they each have a voice. Their voices are not the same. But they are thunder. I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. 
And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and things that are therein, things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and things that are therein, that there should be time no longer. When you get into this full revelation of that which was, that which is, and that which is to come, you enter into a time lapse. This time lapse is something that can be done by the Spirit because it makes and causes time to be no more. Because you suddenly know the Alpha. You suddenly know the merging of the Alpha and the Omega. And then you know the Omega, which is into the future. And, and time loses its relevance. And it creates a, a, a time lapse. Blessed be the name of God. When you move into the Spirit and come into these sub-auditions in which God is speaking to you, you're not in a coma. Uh, you're not in some kind of just uh, totally knocked out, uh, uh, hypnotized state. But you are in a, uh, a submission zone in which you have you know, a, a cognitive awareness, but you are in a deep, deep, deep receptibility in which uh, you are toned in uh, to the tuning of the uh, subconscious revelations. And that is sub-audition. Sub, S-U-B, audition, A-U, A-U-D-I-T-I-O-N. Okay. So now... Um, until people un understand that there is a particular uh, state of mind and there's a state of time for these things to be released, uh, then, you know, the Bible talks about people having eyes but being blind, having ears but being deaf. And that state still existed. The Bible talks about people still having the veil of Moses over their eyes uh, as they've had it for all this time since Moses wore the veil. We know those conditions are out there, but we also know that God is moving by the Spirit, and he's raising up a word. And, and, and this word is about a powerful subject. It's about thunder. Now, how do we get into this subject when we're really talking about the mountain of transfiguration. Well, last week I explained that just briefly. And I said, the very day that Jesus gave new names to James and John and called them the sons of thunder and invited those two persons to come up to the Mount of transfiguration, he brought thunder up to the mountain of transfiguration. And so the subject of thunder forensically is an absolutely essential, important part of the tracks that were left there for those people who are willing to see by the deep insights of things. Because the deep is calling unto the deep, and the spirit is calling unto the spirit, and light is calling unto light. 
And the heaven is calling unto other heavens. And God is stretching the heavens so that we will be able to see beyond the curtain veil and come into this wondrous understanding of a new vision and a new way of seeing God. Blessed be the name of God. So the seven thunders, listen to what it says about it. Let's read it over in the 10th chapter. Verse 7. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants the prophets. You see, this thing about the seven thunders is so incredibly and awesomely important because it finishes up the mystery. It brings a conclusion, a summation to the story. This whole episodic event on the Mount of Transfiguration is a far, far greater event than when they landed man on the moon. There is nothing that man has ever done or ever dreamed of doing that even begins to equate to the sensational aspects of reality that were transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration in those days when the sons of thunder and Peter and Moses and Elijah and Jesus and the angels met in a rendezvous of the greatest magnitudes that had ever been collected together for such a sensational time of event. These things have been declared to the prophets. It says so. But the prophets have been under orders of releasing these things on a limited basis. And God has begun to give release orders. And when it says prophets here, it's not just talking about, you know, prophets who are into uh, limited prophecy. It's talking about seer prophets. Because only a seer prophet has the fulfillment of being able to, to, to reveal that which was, that which is, and that which is to be. And so these are special uh, seer prophets that this word has been revealed to, and that God is using in this day and in this hour to bring people into these sensational, incredible revelations such as never before. Now, there's so many things we want to talk about. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try to cover as much of it as we can uh, because it is so exciting. Like, um, <clears throat> we want to talk about, um, you know, these, um, these uh, sons of uh, uh, Boanges, these sons of thunder. Who really were they? Uh, why were they chosen? Well, uh, if you go with me again to the 68th chapter of Psalms, 
Psalm 68, and I've been reading this to you different times, there is the story in there of the 20,000 angels that um, made an appearance and uh, they were involved in a special ministry of which it describes in the 18th verse of the 68th uh, chapter. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And these chariots of God that it speaks about, and this word called angels, actually uh, is translated in the Hebrew Strong's Dictionary, 8136, and I have, uh, I have put it in a pronunciation uh, spelling of Shinons. If you don't have it in the pronunciation um, uh, spelling, it'll, it will be a little different. But it still gets the idea. The Shinons. And these Shinons uh, are, are not angels in the sense of the cherubim, the seraphim, and, and, and uh, the ophanim. Uh, you know, they, they are uh, they're into another class. It does not mean that they cannot have an association uh, that, that comes out, but in this ministry here, they are a different class. And um, uh, they, they tie into, uh, you know, uh, the scripture in Revelation that says, uh, you know, I will give to you that overcome, uh, you know, the, the bright and morning star. And, and into the 38th chapter of Job, where it says the sons of God shout it for joy. You know, and, uh, and the morning stars, uh, you know, uh, they were there and they sing and shout it for joy. So, so there's a special thing. Also in the 38th chapter, it talks about uh, the, the sons of Arturus. Now, I know that that's, uh, uh, you know, interpreted different in some of the other, uh, uh, ver, uh, you know, revisions of other Bibles. Uh, but um, theoretically, it does not change anything that they ch changed it to cubs, because if you go back to the mythology uh, from which uh, that idea of changing it into the bear cubs, uh, it still ends up that the story is that it was human beings that were cast up into the heavens, and then they became they became uh, bears and cubs. So it doesn't really change the story, whether you call them, you know, sons of God uh, to begin with, uh, rather than going through all that extra rigmarole to, to try to make some mythological point. And so, um, as we get into this and understand that what this is really talking about, really talking about, is the Artursians and and there are other names that they can be called but but we we use that name uh for now because it it uh, it synthesizes uh with the scripture in um the thirty eighth chapter of job and we've got these chariots of God. And there is no other place in the Bible that the term Shinon is used for angel. These are a totally different, exceptional group of angels. These are angels elect. 
And in fact, they happened to be Ophanims that were part of the group that went before the destruction of the world by the flood and were were, uh, raptured out by the cherubims and taken to the father's house. And they were the offspring of Enoch. And they have, um, they're humans. And they visit this earth in their ziths along with uh, ziths of, of the seraphim and the cherubim. Their craft is not as um, swift as the seraphim and the cherubim, but they are very advanced. And, and they have a mission because uh, we on the earth here are humans like they are humans. They are the lost, they are the other sheep that Jesus talked about. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now the fold he was talking about was the Abrahamic fold. Because all of the nations of the earth uh, that are living on the earth are under the Abrahamic fold. And he says this particular group is not under the Abrahamic fold. Because they were taken off the earth before Abraham was even born. And they are under the Melchizedek fold. And that's why Melchizedek, when he's referred to, had neither father or mother or any genealogy here on earth because his genealogy belongs to the father's house genealogy, which is a physical planet in the physical heaven in this galaxy. And it's a sensational thing. Now, um, if you turn with me... um, I have, you know, a couple of the scriptures that are very interesting that uh, I just think would be, you know, well worth your time to look at. Um, they they have to do with, um, you know, uh, with, with with revelation that uh, it's about, uh, you know, this this whole thing of these of these uh, these orphanims. Uh Turn with me to Job thirty nine, verse nineteen. Job 39, verse 19. And keep in mind, if you would, please, that it is just Job 38. And let me just read real fast in Job 38. Job 38, um, you know, um, that um, uh, where we start and and it speaks about uh, where were you, in verse 7, when the morning stars sing together and all the sons of God shout it for joy. And uh, in verse 21, it says, Knowest thou it because thou wast then born? But other uh, Bible, um, uh, you know, uh, revisions, uh, they actually say, you know this because you were born then. There are several other Bible revisions that say it that way. And then in the um, same chapter, 38, uh, 31st verse, it talks about, can you bind the sweetened uh, influences of the Pleiades or uh, loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Mazoreth in his season or canst thou guide Arturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Can you cause there to be foundations on the earth as it said in the 51, first chapter of Isaiah that I read to you? that are the results of of reward of planting the heavens. 
Can you can you give proof of the dominion by having this knowledge of the heaven? And then just one chapter away, and remember in the original Bible, there were no chapters or verses. It says in 39.19, Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Well, when you think in terms of Elijah, where Elijah went up in the chariot of fire, you know, the, and 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 the, the the fiery horses and the fiery, you know, horsemen thereof. Many times, uh, animals are depictions. Like the dove over Jesus Christ was a symbol or a metaphor of the Holy Spirit, and in this case, this description of the horse is really talking about the engine power of these crafts. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Can thou make him afraid of a grasshopper? Uh, one of the things that that the Bible uh, uh, compares humans as just being like grasshoppers. And it goes on, it gives quite a story about the horse and how that, you know, using metaphorically, how that they're unafraid of the war, they go forth uh, without fear. Then the 25th verse it says, He saith among the trumpets, Ha ha! And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. These um, sons of thunder, they are engines, which in the Artesian language means they were pilots. These are these are sons of, of thunder. I would explain to you that both James and John in their prior life before coming down and taking the human form that they did as James and John that Jesus named them for who they were. They were there on the mount. That's why they came back. They were there on the mount with these 20,000 angels, these Shinons. They were they were pilots. They were engines, they, they're called. Sons of thunder that were pilots of, of these Ziths. They were chosen to come back and be on the mountain because they had been there before. They're sons of thunder. Not some stupid uh, name that Jesus would have given them, meaning that they're argumentative. That belongs to such a tale of ignorance that anyone that would ever read that or believe that should bow their head in shame because it really does put down Jesus. That'd be like saying, and Jesus called these people stupid and argumentative, and that's what he named them, and therefore he chose them to be above all the other disciples and go to the mount of transfiguration. It is so sad, some of the things that people come up with that are full of error and holes and ignorance. They were captains. 
That's who, who James and John, that's who they were. They were part of that, of that group. Now, the story is very interesting. There is so much there, so much in the connection to all these different people. Why they were on the mount. I said last week, you know, people are just involved in this revelation in which they are just talking about the head. They're totally caught up into the head. And they, they are uh, not understanding the importance of the whole body. And Jesus is the head of the group, of the assembly, of the church. And the assembly, the church, the body is part of of Jesus under his head. But there's a story not just about the head, and that's the most important, but there's a story about the body. And Jesus is very emphatic in telling the story. When he tells the story about the, the you know, the foolish and 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 the wise virgins. That's all body ministry stuff. And so that's what we're doing. We're telling the rest of the story. Uh, it's, it's, we love Jesus. It's, we know he's the master. We know he's the Lord. And Jesus wants us to know things about his grace and love. But he also wants us to know things about the body. And that's what this message of tracks upon the mountain of transfiguration is about is forensic scriptural evidence. Tuning up our minds into a spiritual understanding. Now, when the children of Israel left Egypt, and this is a big, huge message that would take several several teachings, so I'm just going to skim it, and I've skimmed it a little bit before. They were, they were, uh, according to the Bible, and I'm not giving you scripture for it right now because it's another message, but I'm just throwing it for your th th thoughts to dwell on. They, they divided up into, into five groups, and, the, and some of these people began to exodus out of, um, uh, of uh, Egypt, uh, before the main group, the main body left. And they just went like tourists, like people on on uh, a trip to go buy goods from, you know, the Phoenicians or or uh, some other part into Jordan or wherever. And they were able to just leave and take their trip and families, you know, uh, good. And, and they were under, they were under uh, a code from Moses. Go and... Uh, and uh, they, they had they had uh, gold, they had silver, they had all kinds of uh, of wealth that uh, they had garnished from the the treasure cities uh, of the pharaoh. And they dispersed that among these people. And their job was to go in and to buy food and to buy supplies and to bring those and meet the main body of people over by Petra. Petra, which is called Sila, which means the rock. Now, the thing of it is, when you get into the book of David, in the book of Psalms, this man is just frequently uses the word Sila. 
And there's a misunderstanding by some people about the S-E-L-A and the S-E-L-A-H. But King James added the A-H on it uh, because, uh, you know, it was theoretically there. Because the A-H, you know, when you put A-H, you actually add, it's like, it's equal to adding E-L. It adds the name God. And and so you are referring to a rock, but not just any rock. You're referring to the rock of ages, the God rock. And that's why it was the Sela. And that's why it was, you know, thus saith the rock, <laughs> you know. It was a beautiful revelation, and David had that. Now, the Bible says that David has not ascended. There's a reason that he did not ascend. There's a reason that he did not go into the, the, the twilight zone and the regeneration zone. Because he was already destined to rebound. And David rebounded into the body that was Peter. And, and uh, David, the spirit of David was in Peter. And Peter had the spirit of David in him. He was David. And they are the two persons that are mentioned who had the key of the kingdom. It was given to Peter and it was given to, to, to David. And those are both mentioned in the Bible. And Peter was given a new name. And that new name was Stone or Rock, which is Petra or Sila or Sila. And there's much more. So there's a reason why Peter was chosen right away to be on that mountain. There wasn't even a question about it. Didn't have to go through a selectivity. Didn't have to go through some, some kind of yerm and thummim. Didn't have to go through some straw draw. Jesus understood who he was. Jesus understood why it says that he was going to have so much power over heaven and on earth. Because it's prophesied in several different scriptures that at some point David is going to come back even again. And he's going to be head of the nation of Israel. He'll be in another body. And we're going to get into this thing, Lord help us if we have time, about, about these reboundings and how the people come back and take different bodies. And it's a slightly different than regeneration. And so what you really had, ladies and gentlemen, is you had two Shinons, which were these groups of angels. That were which were among those groups of angels, which were the 20,000 that were in this area, uh, you know, like the mountain of Horeb. And it's on that same mountain where God said, where the Lord said, I'm going to stand here, and when I stand here, you speak to the rock, and the water's going to gush out. But instead, uh, Moses struck the rock. But it was the Selah Mountain. <laughs> it, it was connected with, with, with the Petra, with the Selah. Now, there's another mountain, which is also Sinai. 
Horeb is not exactly Sinai, but it is, it is configurated with it because of a connectedness of, number one, the bush revelation that Moses received at Mount Horeb. But in the, in the, the book of, of Galatians, it says that the other Sinai was located in Arabia. Now, the word isn't in contradiction. It just it understood the parallel thing that was happening. But one of the awesome and real and factual things that in both cases was always uh, mentioned and present was the thunder that was heard on those mountains, the lightning and the thunder, which is continued in its evidential revelation in the book of Revelations. And so this thunder ties into the, you know, the, the, the sons of thunder, who are the captains of this divine episode that was taking place with Moses. And we told you the story why Moses came back. Uh, he was under a covenant to come back. And we show, read you the story in, in Ezekiel about the, the, the bones that were going to be restored and come back and take bodies. Uh, and these were the people that were told they could never go over to Jordan, go, go over the Jordan into the new promised land. And how that Moses was also part of that, but that was also that he could bear uh, their transgressions and bring them over to the other side, and those, and and that and they could then come into a transassimilation of Jesus Christ, who is the only person and the only name given under heaven whereby a person can be saved. Now, this thing, ladies and gentlemen, about coming in other forms. The sixteenth chapter of the book of Mark says, Jesus appeared to them in other forms. That is so important to understand. We know in the Old Testament that he appeared as Melchizedek. We know there are several scriptures in the Old Testament, in Genesis, like Genesis 17, uh, there was... was, um, Scriptures that correlate with that particular one, and when when in which three men appeared, and they appeared just as as human beings, and they 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 uh, parleyed with Abraham, they they he fed them, they sit, they rest, they talked, but they they were angels, and one of them was the Lord, and he had just taken on a human body. He appeared as. Melchizedek, after the episode of the resurrection, uh, he appeared as a gardener. And Mary, when she saw him, she said, she thought he was a gardener. She said, sir, do you know what they have done with the Lord? And then as he stood there without saying anything and looking at her, he allowed her eyes to be opened. So she suddenly saw that this person that looked like a gardener was actually Jesus Christ. And then on the road, road, the travelers, he appeared to them, talking with them. They did not recognize this Jesus, who was fairly famous, until he, he opened their eyes. 
He appeared to the disciples who did not recognize him. They weren't sure that it was really Jesus because he was in a different form. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are so many interesting things in connection to all of this. It's nothing less than absolutely exciting. Okay. In the 35th verse of the first of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, but some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Well, what about in the case of Elijah? Elijah didn't die. So although Elijah was able to change into different bodies, He did not have to be quickened from a state of, of death to be able to enter into that. Because to need to be quickened is having been laid down in a state of, of a deep subaddition of rest of the spirit in which you, your body has ceased to function as 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 an entity and only your spirit is suspended and then it goes on and says now that which you, which you are going to sow you sow not the body that shall be now what it really means there is whatever you were before if you were Elijah and you rebound That does not mean that you're going to rebound as Elijah in the same body. Because there is the time lapse that figures in there. And that time lapse has a relevant effect on the form that will be taken. And there's all kinds of possibilities. Whether it be grain or, or wheat and it says chance, whether it be chance of wheat or some of the grain. In this case, we know that, according to Jesus, that the spirit of Elijah took on the body uh, as, a, as a baby in the womb of John the Baptist. Now, when John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah, he was telling the truth. He was not the physical body of Elijah. But when Jesus said, you know, this this person is Elijah. He was talking about the spirit. And he was the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist was the spirit of Elijah. They both were describing a different angle of the fact. God gives a body that, that pleases God. They, he fits a person into to what the time need is. And, and there's a whole story of how the latolution of the 
of the genetic choice of the uh, of a body happens, uh, how that the uh, complexities are, are chosen from the genetics, uh, where you know there's certain derivatives from the mother, certain derivatives from the father, uh, but there is something by the Holy Spirit that is neither of those derivatives, but is additional, and is the main driving force of the spirit and the mind of of that new rebounded entity. But God gives it a body as it has pleased him. Not based on, in this particular case, on a guaranteed genetic uh, uh, duplication of the 50% donorship of two persons and, and what the, um, the, 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 the modeling of that would present. But according to a special case, uh, it, it is done as it pleases the Spirit of God to move. Wow. Verse 44. When the transition is taking place, <clears throat> it is so on a natural body. but it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. And what we are just simply talking there is the difference of a person having a soul body, a soul physical body, and a person who has a soul spirit body. Because the, the spirit is what is quickening. And the body itself is, from the moment of birth, uh, it, it goes into a state of, of degeneration. You just get older and you work your way toward the grave from the minute you're born. Unless there is some kind of spiritual intervention. Verse 49. And we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So we understand that there are spiritual bodies. Not just spirits, but bodies. Spiritual bodies. Those spiritual bodies are able to take on, you know, various tenures. They're, they're, they're able to, to uh, move into the various modes and, and modems of life and, and to do works uh, uh, for periods of time. So it's, it's, it's an awesomely exciting, awesomely beautiful scenario. But this we do know, that the lessons that were being given on the mount was about transfiguration. Transfiguration, having a body that looks one way, and as you are standing there in that body, suddenly having a spiritual experience happening, so that there begins to be a molecular change that begins to happening in the body 
and a magnification of the glories begin to come on that person and they change into, you know, a super beautiful spiritual entity. And when a person looks at that individual, it's like the scripture says. The scripture speaks about the 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 uh, visual the the, the visage, visage and the 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 body model of Jesus being altered, being altered. <clears throat> that was used to to try to describe this revelation of transfiguration. There's a great mystery there, and there is so much, and I hope to get into this, uh, you know, more uh, as we get into the next uh, teaching. Uh, you know, we'll see how much of it we can still get into, but it's uh, it's utterly uh, it's utterly interesting. It's utterly interesting. How did the disciples know Elijah? How did they know Elijah? Well, <clears throat> I think as far as the sons of thunder, um, I, I think that when they were up there, they went into a sub-audition. And I think Peter went into a sub-audition. And when you go into a sub-audition, you go into a deep subconscious mind. And it's very similar to what happens to a seer prophet. You are able to see things and to know things from far, far in the past or to, uh, far, far in the future that you could not possibly know except by coming into this sub-audition experience. And they just, they just as instantly knew. Now, why, uh, um, why did not, um, why was it Elijah? Why didn't um, John the Baptist appear on the Mount of Transfiguration? Why would it recess back to Elijah? Because Elijah had a body that never died. And John the Baptist had a body that was murdered his head cut off and died. And the spirit belonged to Elijah, so it went back to Elijah. Now we have this example that we ministered uh, last week, which is so absolutely incredible. It, it, it just is, um, it's just beyond the beyond, you know. It, it, uh, um, it's, it's so exciting. Uh, we, we, we talked about... Um, the resurrection power, and how that uh, Moses transferred his spirit. Numbers 11, uh, 17, 25, and 26. And uh, also, uh, it goes along with it, Numbers 27, 20. Let me repeat that. Numbers 11, verses 17, verse 25, verse 26. And then Numbers 27, verse 20. And this talks about how that the spirit of Moses was transferred 
In other words, it, it was extended so that it, it could actually be transferred on these elders. They didn't even have to all be present where, where Moses was. Two of them were back in the camp, and, and it transferred to them, uh, even though he wasn't, they weren't there to hear what the prophecy was about. It still happened. They transferred the honor that was upon Moses. Jesus talks about transferring his glory to his, to his disciples. It's the same idea. It's the same idea, ladies and gentlemen. And this all ties in to the doctrine of the manifest teachings of the Holy Manifest, trans-assimilation, taking on the, 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 the lifeblood of Jesus Christ. And so, when Elijah's spirit went out into this rebound, which was not the same body, but it was a rebound of the spirit, that spirit came back to the body that was still alive, which was Elijah. And that's why it happened that way. And I hope that's exciting to you. I just hope that's exciting to you because I'll tell you what, it is to me. Very, very, very exciting. Yes, there, as it says, and I mentioned last week, Psalms 81.7, there is a secret place of thunder. And you know what? We're taking the seals off that book, aren't we? We're taking the seals off that book one by one in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're opening up these mysteries of God. This forensic insight is causing the voice of thunder to say, Come and see. As it mentions it in Re Revelation 6.1. Come and see. And, and we discover that as we get into the thunder, as it mentions it in Revelation 14.2, that this thunder is the voice of many living waters. So when we talk about the seven thunders, which are the seven spirits of God, which are seven angels, and we recognize that these seven uh, stars, which are seven angels, are also seven thunders, and that those seven thunders are the voices of the many living waters, we begin to get the story that every one of those, of those angels are plural, each each spirit of the Lord is a plural spirit of the Lord, representing all of the assembly, as they would translate it, church, but all the assembly, all of the people of that universe that overcame. And you have seven of those universes of overcomers. And there is a, 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 a single compound entity that represents all of the whole group. And, and, and it, they're one of the thunders. And they're, they're, they have one voice. They have one thought that is paralleled together. And it's the voice of the many living waters. Oh, that is just so exciting. So absolutely beautiful. <clears throat> I read last week Job 26, 14. 
but the power, or pardon me, but the thunder of his power. Who can understand? God is wanting to reveal his son in you. Galatians 1, 15 through 16. God is wanting to bring you into this place of moving up. He's wanting to open the book that is sealed. He's wanting to reveal the seven thunders. It is just a beautiful time. It is a beautiful call. It is a beautiful revelation. It's about transformation. It's about a passage of time. Deuteronomy 29.5, in which for 40 years in the wilderness, the clothes of the people did not wax old. The shoes did not wax old. It was like they were walking and living in a time lapse. That ordinary, that very hot, dry kind of weather should have just worn out their shoes and clothes, especially with all the walking they did. But they were allowed to go into this time lapse. And being in that time lapse allowed them to, to qualify for being able to restore the years that the cankerworm and caterpillar had eaten so that Moses was able to pour out his spirit upon those people through the prophecy proxy of Ezekiel and reunite that body that was told you can't go to Jordan along with Moses who was told you cannot go across the Jordan and make them able to be able to go and rejoin themselves to the others that went over Jordan. And the promise that we read to you that was given in Deuteronomy 29, 14 through 15. These words, this, this covenant that I promise you, it says, I do not make this covenant and this oath, but, but uh, for just the person that stands here with us today. But I make this covenant and this oath also for them who are not here with us this day. Wow. Wow. The time lapse. How that you can cross that twilight zone. How that you can move through unapplied time. Although the shadow of death comes down the prophet turns back the shadow on the sundial so that the time that it's supposed to be does not affect you as the time that it is. What an incredible thing. Yes, we, we, we realize that when Joshua was fighting the children of the, of the, the enemy camp and he prayed, you know, for the sun and the moon to stand still and, and, and supposedly that prayer was answered. You know, we know that that is not what really happened. That if the, the sun stood still and the moon stood still, you know, the earth would, would stop turning and, and, you know, the whole world would be just destroyed. But what did happen was 
it went into a time lapse so that there was the effect that happened as though the sun had stood still and the moon had stood still, even though it had not. <clears throat> so that as in the in days of Moses, the clothes and the shoes did not age because they were in this time lapse. And therefore they were able to win the victory. And, and, and the effect seemed as though the sun didn't, didn't go down and the moon didn't go down. But nothing there was changed. It was just this time lapse that affected their minds, their memories, their insight, and the effect of winning instead of losing the war. Believe me, in God, there are answers for everything. In God, the things of God are beautiful, and they're, they're simple, and they're powerful, and they have deliverance in them. They have deliverance because they're uplifting and they're full of love and full of salvation. So we are learning so many things. We are learning that these seven thunders are also seven lamps of fire burning. And that seven lamps of fire burning are seven spirits of God. It's that syntonic fire. There's seven of them. We're learning that out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings. And every throne represents, you know, one of the different angelic universes. Just read Revelations 4 or 5 about the seven spirits of God and the throne thing. It's just absolutely exciting. There's no questions about it. As we, we come into this revelation, the one thing is we begin to really understand. It's not far-fetched. It's not ridiculous. It's not extreme. It's not overboard. Because the fact that we have been told by the scripture, here is how you're going to write this. It's a mystery. And John, you're going to write this about that which was. And you're going to write that about that which is. And you're going to write that about that which has not even happened yet. That is not intended, was not intended to be a natural book. It was a supernatural book. And when we have that kind of a setting, then we become, we begin to understand when an event takes place and <coughs> two persons are brought to the, um, to the mountain, and they are called sons of, of, of thunder, we come to understand this is a big message. This is a big message. And it needs to be opened up like a door so that it can be understood what the message is. 
And what did people want to do with that? Oh, well, you know, there's these two disciples that went up there, and they're called Sons of Thunder. But what about, there was 12 disciples. <laughs> what about all the other disciples? Why were they not chosen to go up there? I mean, the qualifications for the people going up to that mountain, when you start thinking of the status of Elijah and Moses, and of the angels, and of Jesus, and then you see the connection that I've delivered to you about Peter being having the spirit of David, and the, and, and, and the sons of thunder, having been on them, those... Those, that mountain before and they're fulfilling something that that day of the transfiguration that moment upon the mountain was an incredible act there was a ministry that happened there between Moses Elijah and Jesus we want to get into that Lord willing what was it that was being conferred there what was it that was being talked about there can we open that book? Can we go into that energy dot? Can we take off those seals and open the book a little deeper and read not only what's on the backside, but what's on the inside? There's so much more to tell about what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration because the glory and the power that is there is still available for God's people right now in this day and in this time because those things were put into a gear. And that, that gear was, was a whole revelation to take God's people forward into a spiritual understanding beyond anything that people had ever imagined. Wow. Let me remind you of two scriptures here. Let's look at, at John 14, um, 1 through 4. John 14, 1 through 4. And let's just read what this says here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whether I go, you know, and the way you know. You know, um, I, wa I want to say this. In verse 16, it says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, you shall live also. Now, people talk about 
Well, Jesus came. He was born in the in the in Bethlehem in the manger. That was his first coming. Oh, how sad an interpretation that is. Jesus has been here on this earth in many different forms. But let's just go ahead and give you the benefit of that. That's his first coming, you say. And now they say the second coming, he's he's coming and he's due here any time. Uh, friend, the second coming was when Jesus said, I will come back as the comforter. And Jesus came back as the comforter uh, within a very short time on the day of Pentecost. And people began re receiving him as the comforter uh, within their hearts and receiving the power of the Holy Ghost. That was the second coming. That's what it says so right here. That, that was the second coming. Now, the rapture that you're calling is really the third coming. And the timetable changes on that. That's not going to happen till a time, time, till a time, times, and uh, and a half times, or, or a dividing of the times. Ladies and gentlemen, may the world wake up. May the people who call themselves spiritual, may the people who call themselves Christians, may the people who call themselves deep-minded wake up and begin to see this truth and, and this, this vital uh, uh, resonating, reverberating uh, word of God. Because there's going to be a, a special kind of setting free that's going to raise up sons of thunder all over this planet. The saints are really going to go marching in. <laughs> Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. So I find those things exciting. Now, I want you to also turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, as I sort of bring this to a summation here. And we read this, you know, the la actually we read this the last two meetings. But it is such an important scripture. We, we, we just... We just have to read it again. First off, let's start with uh, uh, Hebrews nine twenty-three. I want to read this again. It was therefore necessary, necessary, vital, must be done. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. I think that on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a dual virtuous thing that happened. I think that anything that had been left undone as to the purifying of the patterns in heaven, incomplete by the natural articles of faith that were rendered under the law, that they were fulfilled there on the Mount of Transfiguration by the actions of that ministry body. And then I think it went on to the next as aspect and application of it, in which it says, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. And I don't particularly always care for the word sacrifice. I think the word offerings is more beautiful. And I think that's what it really meant. 
there were other offerings that could be made. And I think on that day of the Mount of Transfiguration, there were offerings that were made that shook the heavens, that caused the sound of, of victory to go around the world and off into the universe. And that the actions of that Mount of Transfiguration is so deep, so full of glories, so full of wondrous things, that it is just now that God is opening the door and saying to his servants, okay, you can begin to reveal some of these things. And actually, even after that scripture I read to you in Revelation that said, seal up these things, there is another scripture a little later that says, okay, now you can go ahead and you can tell these things. So what I'm saying to you is scripture, and it's real. It's full of sparks and full of truth and it's full of scintillating revelation. Now, let's just read verse 12, chapter 12, verse 18, as we sort of bring this part into a closing fashion. And this is that sensational scripture that talks about this, these two events. Chapter 12 in Hebrews and verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they heard intrigued that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. You know, there are still people out there like that. They don't want the word to be heard. They, they know it's God. They know it's awesome. They know there's termination of revelation. They know there is deep, awesome totality, but they just don't want to hear it. They just can't bear the draw of energy to put it together and to know things that will change their ideologies and change the way they have lived and thought and conspired. They just didn't want it to be spoken to them directly. They, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast should touch the mountain, they should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And in a way, you know, those beasts each belonged to some family or man. And that was the beast nature that was in the people. And if that beast get out of control and touched the holy mountain, it was their spiritual death. And they, they couldn't bear the idea because they knew how weak they were. They were not under grace. The law could not save them. The law of Moses could not save them. And they could not endure it. And that's why this thing on the Mount of Transfiguration, getting it straight, getting it straight with Moses and Elijah and the people of God. Verse 21, And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Here was a man that wasn't afraid of very many things. 
But when he saw the array of the 20,000 Ziths and their countenance, when he heard the thunder of their voices, when he saw this incredible, almost beyond belief, power of God, he trembled. Verse 22, But you are come unto the Mount Zion. Remember, this is Hermon, Mount Hermon. I read you the scriptures. And unto the city of the living God. It's a whole city of revelation. It's a city of the living God revelation, that Zion revelation on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the revelation, the real meaning of Jerusalem, which is about peace. That's what the word Salem means, is peace. And it's about the revelation of an innumerable company or companies of angels. And it's particularly to the assembly, the general assembly of the Church of the Firstborn, which is the Father's house, which are written in heaven, and to the God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling. Ladies and gentlemen, this mount of transfiguration is absolutely sensational. It is so full of the richness, of the glory, of the power of God. It transcends. It zooms. It flies. It spirits. It heals. It loves. So today, for my spiritual prayer part, I just want to do a prayer from my heart. My Heavenly Father, which art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Would you reach out to these people who are listening to this teaching? Would you guide their hearts and their insights? Would you cause your Holy Spirit to open their eyes to these truths? And those that are on this circuit, whose bodies need deliverance and healing, whoever they are, wherever they are, I call upon your tender loving mercy. I call upon your tender loving grace. I call upon you, Jesus. I call upon you, Father, which art in heaven, to now, just with your holy power, just transcend over these voice waves into their bodies, healing them, healing them from the bottom of their feet to the top of their heads, making them a whole, Filling them with your love. Filling them with your tender, loving care. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. 
Amen. Our love to you, dear friends. There is a beautiful blog on themanifestor.com for Mother's Day. It would sure be great if you get a chance to read that on Mother's Day. God bless you.